Welcome to Just Sayin', a podcast produced by and recorded at Tri-State Worship Center. Now here are your hosts, Allison Gardner and Pastor Terry Wagner. Hey everybody, welcome back to the Just Sayin' podcast. I am Allison Gardner and I'm here with my pastor, Terry Wagner. Hello, Allison Gardner. Hello. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Awesome. Awesome. And we are also here with our sound engineer, Tyler Staten. Hey guys. Who's an engineer or technician? Um, Which do you prefer? You know, Those terms are interchangeable. What yeah. would you like for us to call you? I don't you? have a preference. Um, the magician works. The magician. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah. <laughs> that's, I like that's that. good. That's good. I think I did that. I you coined did. that. You me. did, actually. Right. Well, today is a very special episode because we are closing out season one. Wow. It's crazy. Wow. Time flies. When you're having a great time. Oh, she, she's one for one she, today. She, she's doing I, good. I didn't want to just do stuff. fun. It's <laughs> yeah. like great time. Well, because it's more than that. Yeah. It's, it's deeper than yeah, that. And right. it's it's a, a lot more emotional than just fun. It's, yeah. It's been a roller coaster of emotion on this show. Right, right. But that's okay. <laughs> that's true. good. That's true. It's been, it's been great. And I'm so thankful for all of you listeners who have... Uh, taking this journey with us, it's been it's been awesome. We just need to insert some like celebration music in here. <laughs> Did you notice episode five? It was very good. Yeah, when the we, applause. When, as we said, insert yeah. applause right, here. Right, there right. Was. It was exactly beautiful. Like, almost like magic. Ooh. You must be a, a magician. magician. <laughs> yeah. Well, today we are calling this segment of the show the lightning round, and it's kind of our bridge between seasons where we do short answers um, of questions. <laughs> we're trying to make it short. We're going we're, to we're try um, of listener questions uh, on a very broad range of topics, oh my, I yes. have to say. Yeah. I don't but, think the word... Short answer and Terry Wagner going the same. Well, story. that's why it kind of was funny. I appreciate you making me laugh today. Thank you oh very boy. much. Thank you very I'm gonna much. I'm going to try keep him on keep him on task. Yeah, you. Yeah, make sure and give me like the cutoff thing. Right, right. All right. So let's just hop right into Dive it. Dive in. Let's go. Our first question: What is the Bible's view on feminism, and what should a Christian's perspective on it be? Well, uh, restate the mission statement of our podcast, which is to look at life issues through the lens of Scripture. So I always want to make sure and qualify any of my answers by saying that they are through the lens of Scripture as, as I understand it and as I've, I've studied over the years. Um, the definition of feminism, the advocacy or the support, the promotion, the sponsoring of uh, women's rights on the basis of the equality of the sexes. That said, God was the first feminist because he said, let us make man in our image and after our likeness. He made man and woman after his image and in his likeness equally, equality. And so, you know, I think God created woman in his image and bestowed on her the equal dignity of men. So what is the Bible's view of feminism? I think all people are created equal. Unfortunately, sin entered the world, and I think that also impacted the equality of men and women. And I think we are climbing our way back out of that. I don't obviously we're, we haven't made as much progress as we should have made, uh, but I believe we are all equal. I believe the Bible says that we are all equal, um, and it's unfortunate that there that it had to get to an organiz- organizational level 
to try to bring it back to equality because I think whenever that happens, I mean, we're seeing it happen in our world today, sometimes we, they, we lose sight of the goal. We lose sight of the purpose. What, what were we doing? Oh, yeah, it's feminism. But yet we go so far the wrong direction sometimes. And um, uh, I, I just say biblical view of feminism is God's for it mm-hmm. because he created us all equal. I agree with what you were saying there because you said, unfortunately, it had to get to that point. I don't think God ever intended for feminism to ever have to be a thing. Right. It didn't need to be. It didn't need to be. Right. But unfortunately, some other people didn't see it that way. Yeah. And so here we are. Yeah. And and I I know these are short answers. That's okay. Um, You're doing good. You take take what happened uh, with George Floyd. When that happened, the entire nation watched that happen and said that should never happen to any human being, period. Right. From that, we see birthed not just a movement, but really several movements that led to some activity that unfortunately caused Americans to go, hmm, nope, not so much. Yeah. Right? All of a sudden, George Floyd got lost in some other activity that, that it, it, to me, was very questionable. I say that to say, unfortunately, I think we went through a time where feminism did the same thing. I think the cause was there, and yes, we are all created equal, and women should be treated the same. Unfortunately, sin entered the world. Things got bad. Even to the first century of Palestine, when Jesus was around, women were considered possessions. They weren't even considered, you know, a a human being. Uh, and, And that was wrong. It's sinful, wrong. And I think we've gone, we've come a long way, baby. Now, I know you know what that, no? No. That was the initial uh, war cry of feminism. Yeah. We've come a long way, baby. I mean, that was, and so uh, it's unfortunate that it had to get to an institutional level to try to make what God originally created mm-hmm. to be the way it was supposed to be. Uh, trying yeah. to to break down a wall that should have never been there in Correct. the first place. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and I think a Christian's perspective on it should be, um, feminism in terms of the modern term, uh, feminism as in support of abortion or um, shaming women for being housewives or, you know, um, tearing down the role of the husband being the leader of the household is not something that we should side ourselves with, but the equality of women, that message there is something that we should stand for. And just to make sure I understand or, or even clarify maybe what you said, you know, the Bible says the two become one, right? Mm-hmm. Two become one, and the one's not you, husband, or you, wife. The two become one. Right. And I do think there's a biblical structure set up, you know, that, that, that was God's original plan for how things work well. And unfortunately, again, sin in the world, the structure kind of falls apart. Uh, obviously, we're not advocating abortion. We stand against abortion for any reason. Uh, as a as a church, as Tri-State Worship Center, as a part of the Church of God uh, internationally. Uh, w- but we also stand against women being, you know, held back or held down or whatever the case might be. And so I, I just think that, that as Christians, we should view everyone equal, mm-hmm. you know, and, and treat them as though, as though they were your equal. Right. All right. Next question. Views on the LGBTQ plus community and how would you respond to one of your friends being a part of that community? 
Our mission statement at Tri-State Worship Center is to encourage the saint, to help the hurting, and to embrace all people. Embrace all people. And, and I want us to be a church that does that, embraces all people, regardless of lifestyle, addiction, regardless of saint or sinner. As a matter of fact, I even said this yesterday, Jesus loves us so much he will take us just the way we are. But he loves us too much to leave us that way. He will change us. Um, as a pastor at Tri-State Worship Center, I have to say homosexuality stands in conflict to the Bible, mm -hmm. period. Um, we are to walk according to the Spirit, not according to the flesh, and the flesh cries out in all kinds of ways, not just in homosexuality. Homosexuality is not like one sin that's worse than others. It's Sin is sin. But I say that it's in conflict to the Bible and want to follow that up quickly with, but we still want to embrace all people. We still want to be a church that, that loves people because I think the only way we can show Jesus to people is to love people. That's what the Bible said. They'll know that we're his followers because of our love for one another. And these practices that are listed in the Bible, and, you know, again, this is lightning round, and I'm supposed to be trying to hurry up and make my, <laughs> my answers quick. But there's a lot of scriptures that, that speak to it, uh, sinful practices, not just homosexuality, but sinful practices which are made prominent in, in the Bible uh, that, that we're supposed to be against, scriptures that include homosexuality, adultery, worldly attitudes such as hatred, envy, jealousy, corrupt communication, <laughs> gossiping. I mean, we could, we could go through all of those. But, but here's an interesting thought that I had when I, when I saw this question. And I don't know if you'll, I hope I can put words to it the way that I kind of had it in my heart. When I came to Jesus, there were things I was doing in my life that I had to quit doing, mm -hmm. right? Uh, because I was a terrible person. There were things I had to give up. But what I discovered was the sacrifice was worth it. What I gave up was well worth what I've received from the Lord in return. So I wonder sometimes if people just don't want to change, mm -hmm. you know. Uh, they like their sin. Right. Well, and, and thank you. You're, I'm glad you're the one that said that. <laughs> uh, uh, com. please send all your uh, email to her now. No, but, but you're right. Yeah. I mean, I don't want to change. So since I don't want to change, I'm going to begin to justify and legitimize what it is that I do mm -hmm. so that I can be okay. Uh, you know, we have, we have churches whose dogma now is, their doctrine is that it's accepting. Uh, matter of fact, there was a church, and I, I wish I could remember the name of the church because it, it was in a news article uh, in, in Michigan. It was a Baptist church where the pastor announced uh, that, I don't know if it was his or her, because they announced that they were transgendered. Mm. And, of course, the congregation wasn't ready for that. I don't think that would be a good thing for any church to be ready for as far as having a pastor in that position. And so they asked the pastor to resign. And, of course, everybody's up in arms because that's just, all. well, no. I mean, I think we have to have some convictions, some morals, some standards, and we say this is what we believe. But that doesn't mean we hate anybody. That means right. we love everybody. Right. Right. And, and we encourage people to come and, and, and change and change with the rest of us. And if that included, to answer the second part of the question, if that included a family or a family member or a friend, I would love that person and look for opportunities to speak truth. Right. I mean, I, uh, I know that people aren't supposed to do this because it, it indicates some kind of a prejudice or bigotry about them, but I have a cousin, have several cousins that, that 
are gay, one that was gay that, that passed away several years ago of, of AIDS. And I, I never hated my cousin. I never dis, I, I, I love my cousin. I, I wanted to speak truth to him and did on a couple of occasions. So I think, you know, as far as the church goes, the church needs to stand against things that are sin and not try to work it into. I just got done, I shouldn't say got done, about a year ago. I read a book uh, written by a, a person who professed to be homosexual and Christian. And the whole premise of the book was based on, well, you know, the interpretation of certain words for the last 2,000 years is wrong. Mm -hmm. The Lord has shown me, this writer says, the Lord has shown me what these words really mean, which of course is to legitimize and justify his behavior. So uh, I just think the church needs to stand for what's right and for what's wrong, but yet be, be open to receiving people from all walks of life so that they can be introduced to Jesus. Right. And um, for the second part of the question, like you said, if I had a friend who um, claimed to be a part of the community, I, it's not like I would treat them any differently than my friends who, you know, maybe drink or party or abuse drugs. Exactly right. The yes. sin is not on a different level and it's not any worse than my sin, right. you know? We're all we're all sinners. It's crazy how people can I mean the old saying, if I can make you look bad, it makes me look better. Right. So if I can make your sin look worse, then it makes my sin look not so bad, right? And you're exactly right, Allison. I mean there there are not levels here. I mean sin is sin. And it needs, and we need to deal with it. We need to try to speak truth into people's lives, and and hopefully to provoke change in them. But um, yeah, I, I, if it was a friend or a family member, I'm I'm throw my arm around them, love on them, right. and 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 look for the Lord to open up the door of opportunity for me to speak truth into their life. Right. I was trying to keep the mentality of love the sinner, hate the sin. Yeah. And and sometimes that can be tough when. Um, if somebody else's sin is hurting you, I know that's hard. Yeah. But that's that's the mentality I think we we have to keep. Love the sin or hate the sin. Yeah. All right. So next question in uh, pertains to the dating episode. Yes. Um, what should someone do after they've listened to the dating episode but have had some uh, indiscretions and are still in a relationship, or even if you have. Even if you aren't, but have made mistakes, what and how do you move forward? The great thing about Christianity is God's grace, right? Amen. Romans 5.20, where sin abounds, grace superabounds, right? Christianity, the only worldview, and when I say the word, word worldview, I mean uh, a religious outlook on, on life. Christianity is the only worldview that teaches grace. There, there is no other worldview that teaches grace. I, I make that emphasis because if you're still in a relationship with someone that has gone beyond the boundaries of where that relationship should be, where sin abounds, grace superabounds, ask God to forgive you. If you're going to stay in that relationship, set up some boundaries mm -hmm. and don't do that no more, right? If you've left that relationship or maybe you were never in a relationship but have allowed uh, you, yourself to get involved in activities uh, that, that are outside the boundaries of, of what God has provided, well, then what you need to do is repent and sin no more, 
right? Uh, so many examples, so many biblical examples, but it's a lightning round and I've got to hurry. Um, but but it's, it's about the grace of God. You can, and I'm going to say this, and I, I hope I don't offend anybody or say something that you have to cover up the kids' ears. If you have been sexually active and you feel convicted of that now, and and maybe hopefully even something we said in that podcast it maybe provoked you to, to take a second look, you can always become a spiritual virgin again. All you need to do is just ask God to forgive you, repent from that, turn away from that particular mindset or activity, and and begin to live within the boundaries and the and the guidelines that the Lord set up to begin with. So I just think that if you're involved in a relationship where it's gotten out of hand, repent, set some boundaries. If you're not in a relationship but you've allowed yourself to get involved in those kinds of activities, repent and sin no more. I mean, and let the, let the grace of the Lord take care of the rest of it. Right. Now, what you will have to fight, and I'm not going to talk about it because they can go watch my sermon from yesterday, <laughs> is condemnation. Yeah. Condemnation will be a, a big, big roadblock if you allow it. Right. All right. Next question. How do you justify military killings and the death penalty being a Christian? Dun, dun, dun. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> Heavy Woo. one. Um, yep. John 15, 13. Mm-hmm. Greater love has no man than this to delay his life down for his friend. Um, I believe that we have a military that defends us and protects us, and it's it's another uh, manifest result of sin, and that is the price of peace and freedom is war. I mean, you're, there's not, to my knowledge, throughout the history of mankind, there's not a time where peace and freedom was not something that had to be fought for. And so... I think throughout the Old Testament, several, several military campaigns uh, that were instructed to be uh, carried out by the Lord. God said, in some cases, don't leave anybody alive. Kill everybody. Now that, to, to us sitting here in the 21st century, sounds brutal and and grotesque and awful, but the simple fact is it was for a purpose and so I think we have a military, and that military is there to defend us, but to also protect the freedoms that we have. And, and I don't think, maybe, and maybe I don't want to try to justify any killings. That's, I don't think justify, I understand the question, I think, but I don't think justify is the word that I would use there. I think the simple fact is, is that we have to defend freedom, peace, and we have to defend our country, and, and that sometimes includes military. It may be hard to hear that, but I do think the price of freedom and the price of peace is war. Matter of fact, the Church of God has chaplains that are in the military you know, to, to be there to, to add some spiritual comfort and advice uh, in those situations. Now, regarding the death penalty, capital punishment, if you will, that's another challenging thing, mm-hmm. right? In the Hebrew Bible, what we refer to as the Old Testament, uh, Exodus twenty-one twelve states that whoever strikes a man so that he dies shall be put to death. Now, you could just grab that and say, oh, well, here's the reason why. But all of a sudden, you've got a conflict here of Old Testament, New Testament, Old Covenant, New Covenant, because Jesus said if someone slaps you on the face, turn the other cheek, right? Right? 
Now, there's a whole lot of context in both of those that we don't have time to get into. Um, but what we do understand and know is that uh, it is stated in both from those two different angles. So here, here's where I land on, on, on the capital punish, punishment after saying that. Um, the United States of America and Belarus are the only two countries in the Western Hemisphere that still have capital punishment. Um, but that is the law of the land. Um, so I don't know why I'm hesitating to say this, but I just need to say it and get it out there. Uh, I fall on the side of let's obey the laws of the land. And if you don't like the laws of the land, advocate to change them. Right now, let, let me back way up and say, number one, how about not committing a crime that's so severe that the death penalty is even on the table. Right. That's, I think that's number one. Let's not commit the crime. But if it's there, you know, there, there's a deterrent value that some people want to argue, well, maybe it's not so valuable of a deterrent, but it's a deterrent of people. I mean, in some uh, Islamic countries, if you shoplift, they cut your, your hand off. And what that does is people quit shoplifting because <laughs> they like their hands, Yeah. right? So, I mean, I, I think the death penalty can, can be a deterrent. I think there has to be a consequence of some sort. Should death be the consequence for a, a wicked, evil crime that, that I commit? I, again, I, I don't know. I think just maybe it's the laws of the land, and if we don't like that, then we should advocate to have those laws changed. Um, and, and so I don't think we justify killing in the military. I don't think we justify the death penalty. I think what we do is we say there's a price to pay for freedom and there's a consequence that happens when people commit the kind of crimes that are at that level. And again, I, I also guess I need to put asterisks on there and say um, that's not me saying I'm in favor of or against the death penalty. That, that's just me trying to answer the question. Yeah. Okay. Does that make sense? Yeah. All right. So... Um Oh, this lightning round. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I'm throwing you a curveball here. You ready? I'm always ready for Here we go. Ball. All right. Appeasing, discerning, judgmental, calling out sin, uh, whatever term you want to think of it as. Um, the question comes down to how, as a loving follower of Jesus who is not without sin, does someone walk and change and be a light without it seeming as though they're being judgmental or um, appeasing sin? I, I, you might have to ask me that again. I think what they're trying to say is how do you uh, call someone out for sin without seeming to be judgmental, I guess, is what it boils down to. Well, I mean, I, I guess it, you have, you have some, some variables in there. Who is the you? I mean, if the you is a pastor in the pulpit, I mean, you, obviously you're preaching the word of God and sin is sin and you call that out. But if it's me in a relationship with someone and maybe I was a, a heathen and they knew me in my heathenness, it's not a real word. I just <laughs> made it up. Um, and then I, I change and, and how do I have the right or how do I approach that person now that who knew me when I was not so good to say, well, who are you to tell me, you know, because you did this and that. 
Um, you know, that that's I think I think that involves again one of the most least used gifts of the spirit, which is discernment, to be able to discern and know when to have that conversation or to talk about that kind of thing with somebody. Um, I think that I think that's probably one of the things that hurt the church for years is that people didn't they didn't discern. They just ran into the into the battle, mm-hmm. you know, and and started throwing out, you know, you're you're awful this, you're an awful that, you're going to die and go to hell, turn or burn, lie you fry, all those things, and you know they're just throwing them out there, and they they never stopped long enough to say, Lord, please give me the opportunity to say something to my friend or to say something to my family member. Um, but I, I don't think it's again, I don't think I have the right. I think I have the responsibility. Mm-hmm to say something to somebody. That's good. You're right? I mean, right. it's not It's not that I, I don't think I'm better than anybody. I don't. Right. Uh, I, but I have a responsibility that if I have a conviction to, to make sure that conviction is out there and is known. And if someone is doing things that, that I feel like are contrary and conflicting with what the Bible says, I have a responsibility to, to share that with them. I, I, let me just, as a pastor, as a pastor, um, it is so sobering to me to think about, you know, if I don't say it the way it needs to be said and in a way that is impactful, that, that people could literally go into a Christless eternity right? because I didn't, I didn't present it right, I didn't say it right. And that is a very sobering thing that, that I carry, and, and pastors should carry. I, I don't ever want to get to the place where I think, oh, I got this down. Let me just get up there and say a few things. Everybody's going to be fine, you know. Uh, I always want to have that that awesomeness about, you know, the responsibility that we have. But I don't think it stops at the pulpit. I think everybody should have that sense of of responsibility to share share Jesus and, and what's right and what's wrong and um I know. Again, lightning round. You're killing me. <laughs> um, the, uh, the 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 portion of scripture that says when someone in the church is doing something wrong, you, you go to them. You say, "Hey, listen, you need to straighten up." Right. If they don't respond to that, you take someone with you and say, "Hey, look, you need to straighten up." If they don't respond to that, you get up in front of the people and you 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 cast them out and you treat them as what the Bible says, publicans and sinners. That's not Republicans. It's <laughs> publicans and sinners. Now, what did Jesus do with publicans and sinners? He loved them. Loved them. Ate with them. Went to their house for dinner. So even in the responsibility of saying what needs to be said to somebody, truth without love is uh, hypocrisy. Yeah. Let me say, if I, let me make sure I said that right. You might have to edit this, Tyler. <laughs> um, love without truth is hypocrisy. Truth without love is brutality. Mm-hmm. So you have to be able to discern the right way to, to say it to somebody. Yeah, and you and it depends on whether or not that person you're calling out is a Christian or not, too. True, so true. It's two different situations. Yeah, exactly. Isn't it? If yeah. if they are claiming to be a Christian, you need to follow that um, protocol. I guess I would call Look it um, that Paul put out there. Yeah. But if they are not a Christian, you know, it, I think that's a different I, issue. I think people that are uh, that, that are not believers, that you're trying to make an impact in their life. Uh, I think it was D. James Kennedy who coined the phrase lifestyle evangelism. I mean, I, I, 
part of the problem down through the years has been believers who just walk up to somebody that they have not earned any right to speak to or and just start you know blasting them and d james kennedy was kind of like why don't you get to know somebody why don't you just invite them out for a cup of coffee and just let's just talk and then as you develop a relationship you earn the right to say okay what do you why do you think that's okay for you to do whatever it is that, that you feel like that they're doing that's in conflict with the, with the scripture. Yeah. Just like the, the bullying episode, we talked about knowing your audience and how to approach it. And, you know, you were telling a story where even within a couple of minutes, you knew how far you could take that conversation yeah. with this person and and not say something that's going to come across as judgmental, but just as, as the truth yeah. that you believe. Right. And, yeah. and I think um, with anybody, if you're telling somebody they're doing something wrong, no matter how much love you put in it, they're probably still going to be a little bit, you know, put back mm-hmm. because nobody likes to be told they're wrong no, no. or they're doing wrong. But in the end, I think they're going to know your heart and where you're coming from if you approach it in a loving way. Right. right. Lots of prayer, discernment, yes. truth, and love yep. is Absolutely. what it really boils down to. Yep. All right. So next question. Since God has sovereignty over mankind, why did he plant the tree of knowledge, the forbidden fruit, in the Garden of Eden if he knew the outcome? Uh, Very interesting question that I, believe it or not, have a very short answer for. Wow. Wow. This is the one I would think that his answer would be so long. I I have written a book. Yeah, true. (laughs) Got to put that plug in. Got to put the plug in. Uh, As a matter of fact, this question comes from someone who's known me for a very, very long time. Uh, To me, the, the simple answer is he put it there so that we would have a choice. Okay. Real quickly, God said, let there be a tree, there's a tree. Simple fact that the tree exists, blesses God, and the tree has no choice. I'm not speaking specifically about the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. I'm just saying God God created, things are there, that blesses God. Then he said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. Part of the image, part of the likeness is that we have a free will to do what we want to do, which is choice. We have a choice. So if we would have been in the garden, if Adam and Eve would have been in the garden without that tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, where would the choice come in? What choice? I mean, okay, we're here. Everything's great. Yay. (laughs) For those of you that couldn't see me, I just did a fist pump in the air. Um, But I think God put the tree there that gave them a choice. Now, it's very unfortunate that they made the wrong choice. That was initiated by a conversation of the enemy who inserted a question mark into God's instruction. Uh, Sounds you, familiar. Yeah, it does. See the who told you that sermon series. <laughs> you too, Tri-State Worship Center. Yeah. Um, so, I, I mean, I, really, that's my answer, is I think he did it to give them the opportunity to make a choice. Right. There's a difference between testing and tempting. Oh, absolutely. God tests. God has it in his, it's in his right completely to test us and to say, listen, you can choose my way or you can choose your way. And they obviously chose their way. And that is not, he made that decision uh, full of love and mercy, but also wrath and, um, you know, justice. That's who he is. Yeah. And, and, and again, you know, the, the person asked the question said, you know, why would he do it? And since he is sovereign, he knew what they were going to do. I just had this conversation with someone just before we came in here. I mean, God gives us free will, right? 
but he still knows what we're going to do. But he doesn't force us to do anything. We, we make the decision, but he wouldn't be a sovereign God if he didn't know what the outcome was because he knows the beginning from the end and everything in between. So, I, you know, I, I think he knew what was going to happen, which is what instituted the plan to restore it all, which was Jesus is going to come, he's going to give his life, he's going to die, he's going to resurrect from the grave, he's going to heaven, and we're going to be restored back into what was supposed to have been the original relationship between us and God. So I think the only reason he did it was to give them the choice because if they didn't have the choice, they're just mind-numbed robots walking around saying, we love God, we love God, we love God. And there was no reason to think of anything else. Mm-hmm. And, and there, we, there we have it. Now, I encourage all of you theologians who disagree with me, <laughs> send me an email, twagner977 <laughs> at gmail.com. <laughs> all right, next question. Here we go. Will the Pacers win an NBA title in my lifetime? <laughs> This is our year, baby. This is our year. I we'll wonder find... who asked that question. Uh, well, well, it was it was a friend <laughs> from Indianapolis, actually, that uh, that asked that question. We weren't going to throw any names out there, but uh, I will, I'll at least say this. E, it's our year. I'll just leave it at that. <laughs> so subtle. <laughs> All right. Speaking of free will, would you agree that free will is an uncoerced decision? Does man have the ability to execute a decision of free a decision free of coercion? Well, uh, um, the definition to coerce obviously is to persuade someone, uh, maybe and usually an unwilling person, persuade them to do something uh, by using force or by using threats to coerce them to persuade them. So, I, I would I definitely agree that we have free will. I, I definitely re- agree with that as a result of being created in His image and after His likeness. Uh, we, we are what is called in theological terms volitional beings. We have the faculty and the power of using our will to make decisions. We are free will. And, and I do believe God is sovereign and he knows the beginning from the end. And, and we do have free will, but I believe God knows what we're going to choose. So to answer his question, I'm sorry, their question. <laughs> <laughs> Free will is definitely uncoerced. We are, we are not uh, under any kind of persuasive uh, uh, threat or persuasive uh, uh, force to make a decision about anything. We have free will. We're volitional. We have the ability to decide to do what we want to do when we want to do it. And we can execute that decision free of any persuasion from God, from neighbors, from media, from government. We are free will beings. Now, there are consequences if we choose out of free will to do things that are, you know, outside of the laws of the land, outside the laws of God. Uh, There's consequences, but we still have the free will to do it. And, uh, you know, that's why people would say, well, why doesn't God stop the trigger of the gun that's being pointed at somebody that's going to end in a fatality? It's because the person who has his finger on that trigger has got free will. And unfortunately, that's an evil, wicked person who's exercising the same free will that I'm exercising to make a decision to to follow Christ. And and I I just don't think God's going to interrupt that. I mean, if he was going to, how many millions of times a a day would he have to interrupt people from doing things that, that they probably shouldn't do? And again, it goes back to 
choices, which started in the garden with that tree. That tree. Right. All right. Next question. Ephesians 2 states that for by grace you have been saved through faith and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. So what role does man play in salvation? Well, I think the choice that, that, that we have the free will to choose, but, but here's where I think the, the global Christian community sometimes misses it. I, if we could ever see the connection between Christ and a relationship with him, if we could ever see that connection versus people who try to, to be connected to Christ through the law, Okay, uh, what, what is our role in salvation? Our role is just to be in a relationship with Jesus Christ. Uh, the Bible tells us that the law couldn't save anybody, right? What the law couldn't do, Jesus did when he went to Calvary. And so I think our role, our responsibility, is to be in a right relationship with Jesus. Um, I, I, I put it out here on the interwebs right now <laughs> that I hate religion. I hate religion. I think religion is the worst thing that's ever happened to Christianity because we think if we do certain things that that makes us okay in God's eyes. And there's nothing we can do to earn it. There's nothing. It's a relationship with Jesus Christ that changes who we are that then allows us to participate in the kingdom because when we're in a relationship, we realize things that need to change to make that relationship more fulfilled, just like marriage relationship. You know, me and Vicki, uh, almost 42 years. Next month will be 42 years we've been married. And in those early years, it, it was not always fun and games. It was the struggle of trying to find each other as far as find us, find each other in that relationship and how that changed me. I mean, I, I am so different today. <laughs> than I was the first five years we were married. And, and if Vicki was here, she would be shouting and amen and in the background. Uh, maybe you could put some of that in I could do that. later. Um, but, you know, be, because I had my thought about what this relationship was supposed to be, and she had her thought about what the relationship, and, and it wasn't the same. And I think it's the same thing here. I think that our role is to be in a relationship with Jesus Christ, and that relationship is going to change who we are. Yeah. But we are saved by grace alone, yes, through faith alone, cannot in do, Christ alone. Right. You can do nothing to earn it. You can't work for it. If it, 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 Here's the question. Is it Jesus plus something or is it Jesus plus nothing? It's Jesus plus nothing. If it was Jesus plus something, we're all in trouble. Because that something is what causes all the problems. You know, that something keeps changing. The, the, the lines keep moving. And, and it's not. It's not. It's just be in a relationship with Jesus Christ. Let him change you. The church can't change you. Your spouse can't change you. Your parents can't change you. You can't change your parents. But Jesus can change us all mm. by being in right relationship with him. Right. All right. Next question. Um, is the rapture real, and what is the biblical basis for it, if so? Oh, my goodness. I'm so wore this, out right this now. Might, <laughs> this might be the one. No, that, that. It, it's real. <laughs> it's real. Next question. No. <laughs> uh, the word rapture never appears in the Bible. I, I, I would say that might be one of the reasons why a person even asked the question. Uh, the word rapture 
our English word rapture does not appear in the Bible anywhere. Uh, the second coming of Christ, uh, and I'm going to give you what I believe and what, what our church believes. Our second coming of Christ comes in two phases. First, he's going to come for believers, both the living and the dead, and we call that the rapture. The reason we call it the rapture is based on a scripture that I will read to you. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, start at verse 13, it says this, But I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, those who are dead, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus, those who have died believing in Jesus. Verse 15. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. We're, those who are alive at the coming of the Lord will not go before those who have died in the Lord. Those who have died in the Lord will go. Verse 16, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be, here's the magic words, caught up. Mm. Caught up. That's where we get the word rapture from, those two words, caught up. Together, we'll be caught up together, raptured together with them, those who have died in the Lord, with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we will always be with the Lord, therefore comfort each other with these words. So that is the basic scripture, although there's others, that we get this rapture from, this transformation, this catching away of Christians, dead or alive, to meet Christ in the air. Um, and so there is a seven-year period, and I know we're not here to talk about the revelation of Jesus Christ, seven-year period called the tribulation. And then after the seven-year period, Jesus comes and has this great uh, end-of-the-world battle, if you will. Um, here's what I need us, I guess I just throw this out there. We are a pre-millennial rapture believing church. What that means is we believe the rapture will take place before the millennial, before the, the thousand year reign. Uh, but we are also pre-trib. Oh boy. <laughs> pre-tribulation. We, we think it's going to happen before. Now, it might happen mid-tribulation after three and a half years, three and a half years of peace, right? Then three and a half years of destruction. And maybe, maybe it'll happen mid-trib. We get called out. Some people believe we're going to be here for the seven years. I, I think that Romans, or I'm sorry, Second Thessalonians chapter 2 uh, tells us when it's going to happen. And, and I'll say this, and I'll, and I'll try to end the answer to this lightning round question. It says, now, brethren, concerning the coming of the Lord, right? Because concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him, again, another reference to the rapture, we ask you, not to be soon shaken in mind or troubled, either by spirit or by word or by letter, as, it, as if from us, as though the day of Christ had come. Paul's saying, you might think it's already happened, but it hasn't happened yet. Let no one deceive you by any means, for that day, that day, will not come unless the falling away. Now, here's, here's a real controversial uh, scripture, and I... And I and, my two teammates are falling asleep on me right now. <laughs> no, um, no. The falling away can be two things. It could be what we call the apostasy, which is a bunch of people leaving the faith. But it could also be the rapture. It, it, really, the, the Greek word there could, could support both of those arguments. 
It could be the departure is what the Greek word is, comes first. Then the man of sin is revealed. That's the Antichrist and the son of perdition. So uh, the rapture is real. The word rapture is not in the Bible, but there are many references to a departure, a catching away, a caught away uh, that infers that, that the rapture is us leaving this planet the dead in Christ go first. Those who are alive and remain go with them to meet the Lord in the air and ever be with the Lord. And I, I want to say what Paul said. Therefore, I comfort you with those words. And Wake perplex. up. Wake up. <laughs> I'm just, I'm rubbing my head here. She is really rubbing her head it's a right lot. now. That's a lot to process. I'm sorry. No, it's okay. No, 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 sorry. It's okay. It's Lightning stuff, round. Though. Lightning round. I'm, I'm trying to hurry. Yeah. All right, Move last question. Last question. Woo. Take All right. Breath. <laughs> what is the best way to explain the love of God to someone who has a messed up relationship with their earthly father? People like to compare, well, you know, reckon the love of God right. to the love of a father, but for many that love is tainted or absent. So um, what do you say to that? Well, it's a great question. It is a really great question because I do think a lot of people miss out on the goodness of God because they do compare that relationship, earthly father with heavenly father. And I think it's, it's unfortunate, but I understand it. I understand why, why that happens. Let me just say, you know, again, we can't earn anything from God. We can't earn anything. We, everything is going to be by grace, right? So maybe if we reversed engineered the question, we, we might be able to find a, a better answer. Um, and, and that is, look at who God is. Uh, I mean, he's pictured in so many different ways and so many different stories in the Bible, so many parables, so many stories uh, that try to help us understand. The, the prodigal son is, is probably my favorite picture of God as a father. Uh, and again, I, we don't have time to unpack the whole story because it's a lightning round and we've got to move um, but, but if you get a chance, go read the story of the prodigal son, John chapter 15, uh, because I think that's a great picture of God as a father, the kind of father that we have, not the kind of father that we have on this earth, but the kind of father that we have in heaven. Jesus leaving the 99 and going after the one is another great picture of God as a father. You say, well, well that was Jesus. Well, remember what Jesus said. If you've seen me, you've seen the father. So Jesus really reflected the characteristic of the father by leaving 99 to go find one. So whatever your circumstance may have been with an earthly father or may still be with an earthly father, uh, God understands that, but he also thinks it's unfair for, for him to be put in a category with an earthly relationship when he's the one that, that, that wants you to come home. He's the one who wants to go out and seek for you. He's the one who wrote a love letter that we call the Bible that from Genesis to maps is just God pursuing us. And, and a lot of people don't have that experience with an earthly father. And, and so I, I would just say to us that if you've seen Jesus and he's loving, he's full of grace, he's full of mercy. He told the woman at the well, you know, you, the, the, you're right that you don't have a husband. You've had five of them, and the man you're with now, you don't, you're not married to him. And he, he forgave her, told her to go and sin no more, and he said, if you've seen the Father, you've seen me. That's the picture of God. That's who God is. And so what's the best way to explain it is to experience it. 
you know, for me to sit here and, and say these stories out of the Bible and these parables out of the Bible, I, I mean, I, th that's truth and it's, it's good, but I think the best way to explain it is to experience it. And so I would challenge the person uh, who is thinking about earthly father versus heavenly father, give it six months. Just give God six months. What's six months in, in the life uh, of a human being? Give God six months and see if that's not a better relationship than any relationship you've had. I'm not talking about just your earthly father. I'm talking about any relationship that you've had uh, because I've got enough confidence to know that, that God is the kind of God that would take advantage of that time frame to prove to you his love, his mercy, and his grace and, uh, and to prove to you the kind of father that he wants to be to you. Right. And like you said, God isn't just father. He is friend, Absolutely, shepherd, yeah. savior, yeah. all these characteristics. All those. And again, see, sometimes we see God, and I know we're, we're, we're bumping the time frame. It's okay. Uh, we, we see God sometimes as that ogre in heaven, right, with the iron fist and the big gray beard. And, and he's got us dangling with a piece of thread over hell with a pair of scissors just waiting for us to mess up so he can click it. And we're going... But yet, when we think of Jesus, we think of loving, caring, kind, grace, mercy, all those things, miracles. And Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So we need to get rid of that old image of God that we have in our mind and say, wow, Jesus is a reflection of God, the Father, and begin to let that kind of, you know, absorb into our into our minds and into our spirits so that we can begin to understand who he really is as a father. Right. And you said earlier, you referenced the prodigal son. Yes. You said John 15, but Luke 15, I'm right? Sorry. It's okay. I'm it's sorry. okay. I just wanted well, it's, to... It's the one that's got three of the, pro, uh, three of the stories in it, right? Yeah. It's Luke 15, okay, yes. I think. Sorry. Yeah. It's okay. All right. I can take, I can take constructive <laughs> criticism. Allison. I just wanted to put that out there for people who wanted she, to read it. She just, she's 17 and she's a theologian. Oh my goodness. She's like, this is my, this is my one chance right. <laughs> to yeah. correct my pastor. To correct my pastor. <laughs> I, I had to, I had to no. take advantage. I'm just Sorry. kidding. I receive it. I receive it. All in right. the spirit it was given. Um, anyways, <laughs> thank you guys for joining us. I had a great time. I know I, I know it was stressful, and I'm sorry. Uh, no, don't be sorry. I just, you know, I'm, I'm a talker. If that's, yeah. I don't know if that's come across yet in this <laughs> podcast. I didn't know. I know. Well, it's crazy. Uh, and sometimes it is hard for me to. It takes me 30 minutes to say hello to somebody. Yeah. Right? So. But hey, that that pays off in some situations. But anyways, <laughs> thank you guys for joining us. If you want your question to be featured in the next lightning round, you can email us at twagner977 at gmail.com. Make sure you leave us a review on whatever podcast um, stream you use, and we will see you next time. See ya.